your students to decrease maladaptive behaviors without more external rewards? Do you want your students to be more cooperative in academics and with each other? In today's episode, I share how to implement SEL into your classroom, even if you're new to the framework. If you're ready to see a calmer, more cooperative EVG classroom, make sure you listen to today's episode. So I'm Shay Tracy, and you're listening to the Shay Tracy Podcast. For those of you who are new to me, I am a eight-going-on-nine-year educator, and this is my fourth going-on-five years in the EBG classroom. So I recently have added consultant to my title, and uh, I'm super excited to share some of the strategies that have worked in my EBG classroom to successfully get students to stop maladaptive behaviors and to get them into the general education classroom for the least restrictive environment. Now, I know the EBD classroom can be a lot, right? If you're listening to this, perhaps you are a SAI teacher, SDC teacher, and you have students with emotional behavior disorders slash disturbances. And the behaviors that you see in our classrooms are nothing like what your gender peers have, right? And I often find it not funny, but uh, interesting when they talk about the problem behaviors that you see in a Gen A classroom. And it's interesting how a simple act of no can disrupt an entire lesson. It's interesting to me how a student not engaging in their work can stop a whole class of 30 because we deal with that all day. (laughs) And when you get to the other side of that, you get to stop and take stock of what doesn't work anymore and what students are willing to do. And I get my students to do all of their work by getting some buy-in, right? So I oftentimes have uh, parents come in and they want to give a tour of our program, a tour of our class. They want to understand how we do behavior different. And I have to walk them through uh, what our protocols are and what our procedures are. And what I often hear is one surprise and a bit of um, suspicion (laughs) when it comes to us getting our students to perform at grade level. And I think it mainly comes from, one, leaving the gen ed space. You, You hear a lot of this one size fits all approach to behavior. And in the EBD classroom, we're nothing like that, right? Like we have a overall classroom approach, but Every student somehow has a hand-tailored type of behavior reinforcement in order for them to perform um, to the expectations of our class, right? So a way for you to take away some of that individualized uh, system is to, one, put an umbrella on it with these SEL practices that I'm going to talk about today. And I say that to say, uh, we want our students to move away from that individualized reinforcement approach because it's way too difficult to maintain and sustain in the gen ed environment, which we're hoping to get them back into, right? So we have a very uh, peculiar position as special education teachers where we do not have to be the end of the line. Right. There's ways and spaces and and least restrictive environments outside of our own environment that our students can tap into. So if you are an EBD teacher, understand you are the most restrictive environment in the public education setting. We know we have our non-public school counterparts, right, where 
all they deal with is behavior. But we are literally the last stop for these kids. And with that energy, with that understanding, how we deal and how we manage them is completely different in order for us to get them, one, to maintain, to stop maladaptive behaviors, and the ultimate goal was just to get them into the gen ed classroom, all right? So I'm going to talk about 10 things you could be doing um, to include the social emotional learning into your classroom and to add that into your culture so that, one, students are more self-aware and that they can self-manage better. So if you're brand, brand, brand new to social emotional learning, I'll give you a quick synopsis of what it is. Um, it's a framework that focuses on the individual student, but it does so first on the interpersonal level and then the intrapersonal. So a majority of the piece that we're working on in terms of developing their skills is self-awareness and self-management. And then as we transition them into being more self-aware, being able to better self-manage, then we can focus on social awareness, responsible decision-making and um, relationship skills, okay? So we can expect them to cooperate and to behave well with others when they're having a lot of internal war with themselves. And the best way for us to remediate that, for us to help scaffold the supports for that is to build up their own self-awareness, right? Um, so that they can identify for themselves when they're triggered, when they're upset, what their emotions are, what their responses will be, before we get them to do more complex things, such as build empathy, be cooperative with others, uh, <laughs> be polite. Like We can't expect that when they're still working on the me part, right? So these strategies that I'm gonna include, you can implement into your classroom as early as tomorrow. And I suggest that you do, heavily. I suggest that you do. Um, if you wanna see those maladaptive behaviors uh, slow down and become less frequent, and then hopefully uh, they eliminate entirely. So <clears throat> I am super big on we don't control students. We get students to control themselves, right? I have no intention in controlling you. I have no interest in having power over you. I do not care. <laughs> what I do want is for you to be empowered. What I do want is for you to make good choices. What I do want is for you to cooperate, not because it best serves me, but because it best serves you, right? This is the message that we want our students to have. And we have to give them the language and the supports in order for them to develop that language, all right? Then, so number one, the number one thing that I have our students do in our EBD classroom, that is SEO framework, and that you should implement today is reflective writing at the start or the end of the day, okay? I do both, <laughs> I do both. So how we incorporate reflective writing at the start of the day is with a social emotional learning journal, uh, drop. Uh, there are many amazing resources out there available for students, a lot of SEO questions for them to ask themselves, but, I have an SEO journal that I've developed in alignment with the social emotional learning framework uh, provided by Castle, and I will make that available in the notes underneath this episode. But having students pose or answer 
a prompt or a question uh, about their social emotional learning journey is the best way to get them activated to think about that for themselves, right? So we pose the question as a way for them to one, look inward in terms of how they would naturally respond. And if you are, you know, leveled up and you want to do even more, I like to unpack how they think they should respond and what they typically do in response, right? Because we all know what we're supposed to do, but it's not the problem. What we're supposed to do is not the problem. It's what do we do when presented with that problem? And that's the part that we have to unpack if we're really going to behave better, right? So we do the social emotional learning journal in the morning and we get to discuss that as a class. I get to do a little mini lesson of social emotional learning and that is at the front of our minds for the day. But then we also do reflection at the end of the day. And the reflection at the end of the day mainly is to help the students identify what they did well where they had to use certain social skills. And the ones that I think about often or I have them think about often are when did they have to self-regulate or cope with the day? Uh, when did they best use communication skills? And what would they like to do better for tomorrow, right? Because those I find are to be the biggest hangup with our students. They weren't able to self-regulate in some moment of time and they had trouble communicating their wants or their needs, which led to some form of social interruption. So getting them to see one, when they regulated or when they coped and when they needed to, right? Like actively cope. And then also getting them to see like, when did I use good communication? And it's not simply talking to someone that is not communication, that's talking. When were you able to express and understand and be understood? And that's what we want them to look at in terms of, am I communicating myself well? Am I being understood by others based on how I've expressed myself, right? And getting them to unpack that is absolutely essential and that you can do that tomorrow. Getting them to look at that, to unpack that, really gets the juices flowing of how to communicate better and how to self-regulate when you realize that you're not able to cope with difficult or frustrating or annoying situations. Number two is a check-in or self-awareness. So it's a simple, simple thing that I'm sure you probably are already implementing, right? But just a pleasant reminder in terms of when we're doing check-in. So a check-in is when you ask the students to simply do a self-awareness check. You want them to look inwardly and identify like, how are you right now, right? And if we can answer that question honestly, then we're already in a moving and winning position. So some students, um, they like to fawn. They like to fawn and they feign happy um, or they feign uh, sad or, you know, they are people pleasers and the, the more complicated ones are the ones who kind of mirror others, right? And that I find absolutely fascinating because we learned that very young, right? I'm an elementary school teacher and you learn how to please and appease adults from very early. And I think what we often see in our EBD students is the cognitive dissonance that comes with doing that, right? They recognize that they're not being themselves. They recognize that this doesn't support us both in a meaningful way and they fight back. 
And um, we want them to be able to register and check in with their emotions in terms of how are they actually feeling. But I find that it's not sufficient enough to just ask one time. How are you feeling on a scale of one to three is the numbers that I like to use. Three being good, two is just okay. One, not so great. And zero is like, look, be happy I'm here today, okay? Be happy I'm here today. And I asked that because I used to ask um, on a scale of five and every kid would say five because five just sounds good, right? And that's, again, that people pleasing when people ask you in passing, hey, how are you doing? And you go, oh, great. And you don't mean it because it's not true because you're tired and overwhelmed and your dog pooped on your floor this morning. So like we have learned and rehearsed answers but if we make it less of a performative task and more of an authentic one, then I think our students will give us a more appropriate response that's true to what they're actually feeling. So I like to ask that checking question several times a day, especially after what could be a very uh, difficult lesson. Um, after if we have students who have an episode, um, after if there was, you know, a a significant change in our day, like perhaps the school psychologist isn't able to meet with them or our library trip was canceled or, you know, I forgot to pick up ice cream for fun Friday, whatever it is. <laughs> How are you feeling today? Right? And we ask that question because we want them one to be honest and we want to be able to maneuver um, and be delicate around whatever their answer is. So, I say that to say, this is something that you can implement tomorrow. Uh, another step or um, number three in terms of implementing social emotional learning into your classroom is perspective taking in your academics. So this can be done in every subject, in any subject. However, um, it's important that we get students to put themselves into the mindset of someone else, right? And this is how we build empathy. What we often see in our students um, in the EBD classroom is that they lack empathy or they have difficulty, especially because they're young, uh, recognizing and feeling the feelings of others, right? So we wanna help them uh, in developing that skill by taking the perspective of some of the characters that we read, taking the perspective of um, people we learn in history, taking the perspective of um, wrong answers in math, taking the perspective of different ideas in science. Perspective taking allows you to be in the driver's seat of someone else's car and you get to see what they're seeing in a way that can involve you um, and help develop other skills, your critical thinking skills, your problem solving skills, your um, social learning skills. You're able to uh, take on the identity, take on the interests, take on the likes and the needs of someone else in order for you to see their viewpoint. And I find that to be incredibly important in the EBD classroom because we're trying to build up those social emotional learning skills. And we want to do it in as many different genres as possible so that they can generalize it over environments and over areas, right? All right. Um, and then number four, the number four thing that you can incorporate in your uh, EBD classroom tomorrow is a morning meeting. So a morning meeting uh, in my classroom are a bit lengthy. Uh, they're about 15 to 20 minutes in the morning. And this is with fifth and sixth grade students, right? 
Um, and it requires just a general check-in. We have a general check-in every morning, but it also includes some other points of interest where we're able to sprinkle in some social emotional learning. So uh, I include a quote of the day. I include a would you rather. And <clears throat> I think that we sleep on would you rathers because we don't recognize how seriously some students take themselves. They take themselves so seriously and they're unable to make a choice between two what would be poor choices or two un, unfavorable choices because in their minds, it feels fixed and permanent when really what we're trying to help them realize is that, hey, things are fluid, things change. You don't have to be attached or rooted to anything in particular because we're constantly growing, evolving, developing, okay? So a would you rather question in your morning meeting is a lifesaver. Quotes in the morning, lifesaver. I also include affirmations daily. Like we're gonna go and we're gonna say positive things to ourselves. And I take the time to have every single student say it. We do not coral read that thing. We say it one by one by one by one, adults included. And I say it because if you hear it one time, it does not stick. But if you hear it 12 times, <laughs> if you hear it, see it, and you say it, then there's a better chance of you believing it. The amount of negative self-talk that our students have is horrendous. And this is how their inside voice speaks to them. And it's truly problematic because like, they're bullies to themselves, which is why they have no choice and why they feel nothing in terms of being bullies to other people. It's what they do. This is how I talk to me. Why do I need to talk to you nicer? Like what? So we wanna get them to one, be nice to themselves through our daily affirmations, but also in the same sense, we want them one to, you can't give someone something that you don't give to you. So we wanna have them pour themselves up, fill themselves up so that they can pour out. Because what you're filled with is what you put out. So we want to fill them up with all the amazing things. So my morning meetings, again, take a bit longer. We uh, have a Q&A. We get them to talk. We provide important updates for the day or for the week. Or, um, you know, I also use this as a time for us to incorporate our SEL journal. Uh, but it is a time for us to just meet and uh be personable and take away the pressures of what our environment does. Our environment is challenging our students to learn something new every day. So every day they have to feel awkward and every day they have to stumble and every day they have to, you know, work through something. And those are a lot of incredible challenges. Like think to yourself, when was the last time you learned something absolutely new and how frustrated did you feel? How out of sorts did you feel? They feel that every day, moment to moment. And we don't give our kids enough credit for being able to do that without lashing out <laughs> because we're imposing upon them. You have to be new every single day. You have to learn something new. You have to challenge yourself several times throughout the day. And this, again, we want to prepare them with that growth mindset and we want to give them the skills to make them feel like I can do this and I'm open to that challenge. So morning meetings are perfect. A perfect vision to your classroom. Try it tomorrow, <laughs> okay? Try it tomorrow.
Um, number five would be classroom jobs uh, for individual and collective responsibility. So we have students who have jobs in the classroom so that one, they have a sense of purpose and then two, they have a sense of contributing, right? So we do that so that everyone again, knows what they should be doing. They also have an intention in the classroom that isn't self-serving solely, but it helps to serve others because we wanna put them in a position to understand the importance of serving others. And it helps take the load off of your plate, <laughs> to be honest. It takes a little off of your plate, it takes a little off of your staff's plate because we have enough to do without worrying about passing out papers, collecting books, collecting papers, uh, sharpening pencils, like you can assign that to a student to one, give them some pride in, in what they're doing and some competence and also to just make things light, you know, make things light. Uh, number six, uh, you want to include community building assignments. So a community building assignment is an assignment that helps them to learn more about one another. It also helps them to work together. It also helps them to work as a team and to not like crash each other down. It gives them opportunities to connect in ways that they typically would not connect. Oftentimes we have our students bonding over math problems or over a story that they read, but community building assignments, if anything, allows them to one, do some self-awareness and then also to get some social awareness by being able to compare their experience to others, right? So we want to give them assignments where they're building a mascot together or they're designing an ad together or they're designing, um, I like to say YouTube videos because, you know, what I do is when you feel competent in your ability in any area, reading, math, et cetera, uh, you go and you create a video to teach that skill to another classmate. And we add it to our archives of things that we have when you need help. We put it in the Google Classroom, we put it on the classroom website and students are able to, hey, I, I don't know how to do that skill. Let me go and watch one of my classmates teach it and then I'll go from there. And it's an excellent skill. It's super dope, super, super dope. Um, in terms of getting them to rely on one another and work together. You want to do these things for them because, again, the opportunity that the EBD classroom that no other classroom typically has is that we are able to push our students out into mainstream environments and then they come back to us. And what we want to do is we want them to come back to a place that feels safe, like a haven where you're supported and you're valued. But we want to make it so that you don't feel like you don't ever feel safe enough to leave. <laughs> you have to leave the tribe and come back to it, right? Um, this is not a permanent place for you. This is, I like to say, the train station, right? Like you have to get on your train and you come and you go. And you're not meant to stay at the station. The station takes you to a destination and the destination is not this room. All right. So in the same sense, uh, the seventh thing that you can do and try is mindfulness. And mindfulness is this lofty, <laughs> beautiful idea of being where your feet are. So many of us, so many students are stuck in their traumas, stuck in their anxiety that they are anticipating future failures 
or reflecting on past hurts. And very rarely are they in the space where they currently are. Even when they're doing things as small as a math problem, they're stuck on the last time they struggled in math or the test that they'll fail come Friday. And we want to center them so that they recognize and understand like, I am right here in this moment and I'm going to use the skills that I currently have to work on what I'm doing. And that mindfulness takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. And I know a lot of adults who struggle with looking back on their past, looking forward to their future, but very fairly enjoying the where they are right now. So this is a skill we have to teach to ourselves before we can teach to our students. And in doing that, we want to make sure that we're vocalizing it, that we're saying it, we're modeling it for them. We're being explicit when we teach them, but we do this in every and anything. And in the same way, um, we can take perspective taking and we can apply it to all genres and all subjects. We can take mindfulness and apply it to every single moment in life, right? So I love to do it, especially when students ask me about the time. <laughs> and I know um, students are asking about the time because they're either trying to get out of something or trying to get into something. But in either case, you are not where you're supposed to be. You are not in this moment. So um giving them the space to be in this moment, to think and to include and to be where they are is so incredibly essential. And I think um, if you're working hard, then time flies by. And if um, you're enjoying yourself, then time flies by. But if you are belaboring something, if something is exhausting and excruciating, then you can't be in the moment because it's too painful. And rather than making students focus on the pain, we need to have them focus on the growth. And growth is painful, right? But the important part to consider is like the good that comes in growth. So get them to look at the good and the thing that they're doing requires a lot of work, but you can do hard things. Like that expression is all over my classroom. You can do hard things. It's hard, but you can do hard things, right? Um, the calm down area. So number eight, if you are looking to include SEL into your classroom, you need a calm down area, a sensory area, a place for you to decompress. And I say that because it's so incredibly essential for our students to just take a breath or a breather. And it can't solely be at recess and at lunch. We are working with children, okay, whose, what am I trying to say? Their attention span is shrinking because of our amazing social media and digital resources. And they get sound bites of information and they're used to over stimulus, stimu stimulation. And we are presenting them with pieces of papers that don't move <laughs> and that don't do anything unless we do something to them. And we wonder why that's so difficult for them. It's difficult because their world doesn't emulate that. Our world is not slow. Our world is not static. We are being bombarded constantly with information, um, whether it's symbols or with talking or with movement or whatever. But 
we need our students to be able to take a break and to calm down and to relax. They have to be able to relax. They have to. If they can't relax, then what's the point? They have to relax. And we want them to do that in a way that's meaningful. And I think assigning a space to it definitely helps with muscle memory of what am I supposed to do when I'm over here? So um, a calm down area can include a calm down kit, can include some books, some sensory toys. Um, you're creative. You can do all the things. <laughs> some putty, some coloring books, something to just take a moment. Um, I've been known to allow students to sleep in that area because again, it's a place of rest. We do not understand the kind of nervous system these students have sometimes, the amount of medications and prescriptions that they're taking and what that can do to their bodies overall and giving them a space to just is so important. It's so important. So number eight, create a calm down area. Incorporate that into your classroom and magically you're performing SEO. <laughs> All right. Um, number nine, growth mindset in academics by front loading. So our students, again, understand that they're learning new things every single day. They're learning new things <clears throat> and we're imposing new things on them and we're making it so that they have to master this skill. And if you are trying to match the tempo of your gen ed peers, then that means in math, they're learning a new skill every day. In ELA, they're working on a new aspect of that text every day. Um, in history, it's another article meant to understand every day. In science, it's another perspective that they're meant to consider every day. So we are requiring new, 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 new. No wonder they're exhausted. No wonder. Um, and that growth mindset of you can't do it, but you will. You can't do it yet, but you will. Um, you are doing all the things, but we can do better. Like we're encouraging our students to do that. And we wanna make sure that they feel competent and that they feel ready. How we do that is giving them that growth mindset of you're gaining a new skill. How do we gain new skills? Well, we have to abandon the idea that we can't do them. We have to abandon the idea that it has to be perfect. We have to abandon the idea that um, if I mess up, I'm an idiot. Like that's fixed mindset. We don't speak from that space of lack. We speak to the space of abundance and growth and expanding our minds, right? And if we want that versatility from our students, we have to present them with the information ahead of time. I'm going to give you something hard to do. And that gives them the expectation. This is going to be hard. And sometimes I avoid that expression entirely. And I say things like, so I'm going to upset you. And that, if anything, throws them off guard. I love saying that because they are in the space of like, well, you're not going to upset me. Either they accept the challenge of you're not going to upset me or they go, oh, okay, I'm ready. Because they understand that I'm going to take you through something and I need you to keep up with me. 
And I also have the expression of, I'm going to melt your brain. (laughs) And that, if anything, helps them understand, like, look, this is going to be a challenge, but I'll be okay because we're going to put your brain back together again and it'll be fine. So using some humor, using some lightweight work definitely helps. And um, it takes away some of the burden of you're expected to learn this immediately. It takes away the burden of I should already know this. It takes away the burden of I need to do better. Um, It's because in the doing, we, we get better. In the doing, we get better. But you have to do. All right. And last but not least, number 10, SEL at its finest is smart goals. Goal setting is self-management when it comes to the social emotional learning framework. If you can get students to manage themselves by first creating a goal and then backwards planning that goal, creating the steps, the checkpoints to get to that goal, then we're already winning. Like we're getting students to anticipate and co-create their wins. And that is beautiful and magical. And it builds up that competence. It builds up the self-efficiency. It builds up their identity when they see themselves do something and meet the criteria that they've set out to be successful in it. We want to take off our our imposition and our guidelines, and we want to gift them the ability to do it for themselves. Like you can create what you want to, you can build what you'd like to, you can become what is it that you want to be. And we have to take away our involvement in it by giving them the tools to do it themselves. So if you want to incorporate any of these 10 things, recap, number one, reflective writing at the start of the end of the day. Number two, check in for your self-awareness. Number three, perspective taking in academics. Number four, morning meetings. Number five, classroom jobs for collective and individual responsibility. Number six, community building assignments. Number seven, mindfulness. We have to add it. We have to get them to stay where we are, right? Number eight, a calm down area. I'm telling you, it's a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, incorporating that growth mindset so that uh, we front load them with the things that they're going to do and be able to do. And then finally, get them to set some goals for themselves and watch them master them and see your classroom culture change. All right. So I hope these tips were helpful to you. I'm on the space of knowing better and doing better. So until then, I'll talk to you soon.